Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Puts her down. He's going to jump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Warrior. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five, I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior, where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user multiple suicide attempts, and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 911, I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Lebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Warrior. All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back. Episode number 38. We've been away for close to three weeks. Thank you for joining me. If you're watching live, if you're listening after the fact, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, it's everywhere. Very, very grateful uh, for every buddy's support uh it's been a really tough week we're gonna get into that couple weeks actually we're gonna get into that 
I'm going to open up a little bit. Uh, very excited about this episode. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Regan Bartell, Jesse Paradise, and everybody at Team Issued. You guys saw them at the beginning. Thank you, Jess, for all that you've done. My former teammate with the Kelowna Rockets. Uh, been a great friend from day one uh, since this podcast started. Thank you, Jesse. Um, lots on the go. You guys know that. If you've been following me these past couple of weeks, there hasn't been a lot to see. I've kind of been hiding. I'm not going to lie. We're going to get into that, like I said. Uh, but there's a couple things that I, I need to address before this episode starts and uh, i think what we'll do is i'll take it away to one of the sponsors and then we'll uh we'll come back and, and we're gonna we're gonna have to tackle some i'm gonna have to tackle something pretty hard here if uh, i'm gonna try to get through it the best that i can uh but something that certainly needs to be done pocket of hell and back is brought to you by pride tape pride tape is a badge of support from teammates coaches parents and pros to young lgbtq players it shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at PrideTape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, -E, Aubrey at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to Jeff and everybody at PrideTape. You guys can see my stick here, obviously, always has the PrideTape. Hockey is for everybody. Do your part. I know the NHL's uh, always doing their part. Um, thank you to everybody at Pride Tape. Uh, but it's time to uh, to get into something that was brought to my attention today. And you know, there's no easy way to go about this. And uh, I just want to, before I start, send my deepest condolences to the entire Minor family uh, and the entire town of Dunville. Uh, this morning, I got a phone call from my good friend, Matt Thompson. Uh, Matt Thompson was the one who shared the story with Matthew Lazinski. Uh, they were best friends. Former Sioux Greyhound passed away of an overdose in 2017. Um, that's how we became friends. And this last year, we've become very good friends. And uh, he called me this morning, and he told me that uh, a guy that he knew that played for the Barry Colts, the guy that he hung out with a couple times, had lost his battle as well. And... Uh, you know, I took to uh, social media, me and Matt talked for a while, I took to social media and I, I wanted to connect with the family. Um, I wanted to connect with somebody, I just wanted to extend my, my support, my condolences. Uh, and I was able to connect with Daniel Miner's wife, Haley. So thank you, Haley, for, for talking with me today and, and opening up. I know it wasn't easy, uh, but we're all here for you. And uh, I'm just going to read the obituary from, from Daniel Robert Miner. Our hearts are collectively broken with his sudden passing on March 12, 2021. Husband to his beloved wife and best friend Haley, and incredibly loving daddy to his son Jack. <sighs> Daniel was the proud son of Tom and Michelle Miner, loving brother to Lindsay and Zach Schmidt, and adoring uncle to Harper and Ainsley. Daniel will be forever missed by his grandparents, Dan and Jeanette Miner, and many cherished 
uncles, aunts, and cousins. He was a devoted son-in-law to Bob, Sheila, and Cindy. He's reunited with his Aunt Judy, Cousin Barry, and grandparents, Barry and Lenore Deer. Daniel spent much of his life on the water aboard the Lindsay Lenore, proudly learning the family trade. When he wasn't on the boat, Dan could be found at the arena, laced up and donning the number 21, or as a coach with his Mudcats gear on. Dan was passionate about all aspects of life, but his passion for hockey was profound. He grew up achieving high-level athletic endeavors on the ice and then translated his love for playing to a role behind the bench as a coach. Dan and his soft hands left an impact on his coaches, teammates, players, and opponents. <sighs> to know him was to love him. From his charismatic smile to kitchen dance moves, Dan offered no shortage of light to those around him. To it simply, Dan was that guy, someone who shone brightest when helping others and wouldn't hesitate to do anything for anyone at any time. Let us remember Dan for his contagious smile, generous character, and loving heart. May we, may we reflect on his zest for life and endearing charm and carry his spirit into the love and kindness we choose to show others each day. Whether you're on the ice, in the stands, on the bench or in the outfield, let's give Dan one more baby for the road. That was his saying, Haley told me. And so my deepest condolences to the entire Miner family. We lost him to an overdose. Um, and I wish I had more to say. I felt bad today when I was speaking with Haley that I didn't have more words to say to her, the right thing to say. But I felt that we needed to honor Dan uh, for this episode number 38. He's up here. There he is right there behind me. So he'll always be part of the Hockey to Hell and Back set and he'll never be forgotten. And in fact, in my hat tonight, Daniel Miner. So my deepest condolences to the entire Miner family. And thank you, Haley, for the chat we had earlier. We're going to get right into the episode. Um, but I'm thinking of all you guys tonight and always. Well, here we go, back for another podcast. It almost feels like this is my very first one. You know, it's interesting because the last couple of weeks have been the most challenging since this whole journey started. This isn't going to be one of my long intros because this is a return guest, the legend Michael Landsberg. I spoke about it before on the last podcast, how I grew up watching Michael Landsberg on Off the Record. I mean, this guy's been a staple in Canadian sports my entire life. To have him on once was such an honor, and I'm so grateful for that. But when he suggested that he come back for a second time and interview me on my own show, well, that was pretty mind-blowing. A year and a half ago, I was sitting behind bars with zero hope. And now I'm about to be interviewed by arguably one of the most successful sports broadcasters in our entire country. Michael and I have discussed this before. We're going to go back and forth with open dialogue. And I believe this is going to be a very important conversation. Landsberg has essentially been doing what I've been trying to do this last year for the better part of nine or 10 years. When I look to people who have stepped up and spoken out about their own mental health issues and their own problems, there's no one that sticks out more in my mind than Michael Landsberg. I mean, let's be honest, when he first took that risk and shared his story, 
the conversation surrounding mental illness, mental health was virtually nil. It's no question that he's inspired so many people to come out and not only share their experiences, but also the fact that he's given them a lot of hope too. There's really no easy answer, at least not for me when we're talking mental illness or addiction. I mean, everybody's life journey is different, but I think the first step is starting to talk about it. Though I've been feeling really down these last couple of weeks, knowing that Michael Landsberg is waiting on the other end for me on my podcast, it's kept me going, I'm not gonna lie. We're gonna get into it, but I'll tell you what, these last two weeks, I've really just wanted to crawl in bed. I just wanted to tune out, turn off, and completely unplugged from the world. I didn't wanna share what was going on with me these past few weeks. I didn't really wanna show anybody how I was really feeling and I'm not sure why. But here we are, I made it through it. This too shall pass. I watch what Michael Landsberg does every single day on Sick Not Week. It's made me feel like I'm not alone and I know there's so many others that follow Michael as well that are feeling the exact same way. This really is a privilege and an honor, like I've said before. And really, this is something that I do not take lightly. I feel very privileged. I'm just full of gratitude for the opportunities that I've had, not only today, but in this past year. But that's enough blabbing from me. You guys are probably sick of hearing from me. You want to hear from the man, the myth, the legend, and the new host for today on this April 11th, 2021. Please welcome my friend, and new host of Hockey to Hell and Back, just for tonight, Michael Landsberg. Dude, that was quite the introduction. And, uh, you know, before anything else, you and I need to establish something that what we're doing here is an even playing field, right? Like I, I got a history of being a broadcaster and you said some really nice things to me. Um, but that's irrelevant at this point. I'm a person who's had a mental health battle. You're a person that's had a mental health battle. And, you know, so when we look at each other electronically, virtually, um, we're looking at equals at this point. So, you know, let's let's drop the, oh, you know, the man, the myth and all of that. Let's just get down to it. And to be honest with you, I wanted to come back on your show um, because I, I think that you offer something really special, something really unique, something really candid and open and raw. And when you hear that sense of genuineness in someone, um, you know, you, 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 you want to hear it again. So, you know, what you bring to the table is this raw, uncut version of what a lot of people are thinking. And you impact people. And the fact that you've gone through this hellish last couple of weeks and, you know, your story about um, the player with the Barry Colts who died. I mean, those, those are stories that need to be told, but they can't be told by a doctor. Or they can't be told the same way by a broadcaster who's reporting on a story. They can be told by people who understand what it's like. And um, what was what was his first name? Minor? Daniel Minor. Yeah. So Daniel Minor is a guy that I don't know if you knew him. Uh, but regardless of that, you're talking about his death his death and his battle with addiction. And you can talk about it in such a candid first person way that I, I listened to that a thousand times before I'd listened to it from a neutral observer or from a broadcaster who was reporting on a story or from a doctor who was talking about, you know, drug addiction and suicides. So, you know, don't ever sell yourself short. You know, it's like you and me, buddy, we're, uh, we're even right now. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I just, Man, I'll tell you, the, these last two weeks, Michael, they've been they've been absolute hell. And so, I, I've I think why I've wanted to hold back a little bit is because 
I feel like as soon as I'm having a bad day, people are like, Brady relapsed or Brady's going to relapse. And so I've treaded the waters very carefully, but I've kind of made this decision today, Michael, where, you know what, like, there's no point for me to hold it back. It's not going to help anybody else to hold it back. And so um, all it did really um, was put me behind in where I wanted to be. uh, And sitting in my own self-pity, knowing full well that it's going to pass, you know, dude. Dude, listen to me. What you just said about how you know people know if they find out that you're you're really battling, they assume that you relapsed. I mean, I talked to Robin Leonard, um, good name drop, but I can name drop with the best of them, right, um, yeah. all day long. Uh, and no one can beat me at name dropping because I've met this like wild cross section of people from actors to yeah. um, you know to singers. So Robin Leonard uh, came out, I guess, about two weeks ago. And he said, I want to call a news conference because people are speculating that I've relapsed. He said, I haven't relapsed. I have a concussion. Uh, But the fact that people immediately jumped to the conclusion that, oh, you know, he must have gone back to the drugs, he said, is really hurtful to me. And I'm here to say that I am sober like I was two weeks ago, but I have a concussion. And when you hear that I can't play in a hockey game, do not make the assumption that all of a sudden I have uh, I have relapsed. And I thought it was, I mean, like really powerful coming from a guy who, you know, could end up winning a Stanley Cup this year, a guy who, you know, won the Masterton, was a uh, finalist in the Vesna. I mean, I think that he in a lot of ways is like, you know, the perfect flag bearer for for drug addiction and for mental illness. And so when, when you talk about the past couple of weeks let me ask you like what what was there something circumstantial that got you down something in your life or was it just the normal ups and downs that I know I have yeah I mean I mentioned to you before we kind of came on and I think a lot I mean everybody that watches my show will know um, what was going on with Kevin and so he came out here and things didn't work out I'm not going to get into the the details because it's not about airing anybody's dirty laundry but it was uh it was a tough blow for me, you know, like it was, uh, I think looking back on it, there's a lot to learn from it. I, I see the positives from it, but at the end of the day, I know Kevin's still struggling and I feel like I failed. Um, I feel like, you know, maybe I did some things wrong leading up to it or whatever, and I feel partially responsible. So I've kind of just wanted to, it's not like I want to hide. I'm not like scared of, of this or that or hide um, from people. It's more like I'm scared to face my own self. And um yeah, it's weird. And I'll just say this quickly. It's like I was watching, I was watching, uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm actually not going to talk about that because it's neither here nor there. However, um, dealing with myself, dealing with my own thoughts these days, it's like, whereas before I could direct them a lot easier. Now it's like, I just want to direct myself to my bed or a couch. Hey, amen. Uh, I mean, bed and couch. I mean, those are, uh, you know, I kind of say it this way, that my couch, which is, I don't know, like 40 feet in that direction, um, where I spent a lot of the day watching the Masters, my couch is a place that I go to celebrate my life. And my couch is my place where I go to hide from my life. So like on a good day, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to lie on the couch and watch TV. This will be awesome. And on a bad day, it's I want to lie on my couch and I want to hide. I want to hide from the world. So it kind of represents both ends for me. But the, you know, what you said is what I remember saying this. Tell me if, by the way, if I'm telling you a story that I told last time, because, you know, I, I 
blah, 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 every single day talking about mental health. Sometimes I don't remember which stories I've told which people. And that's troubling if you're making up lies too. So I'm, I mean, I make up all, I made up the illness totally, right? I just, I realized that through off the record, halfway through that people hated me because they thought I was, uh, I was obnoxious and I was arrogant. So I just made up the whole mental health thing. And now people like me. <laughs> has anybody ever said, has anybody ever questioned you on that? Yes. Yes. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, all, all the time. You know, I, I mean, it, 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 obviously I was kidding about making up the yeah. mental illness. I wish I was, I, I wish I wasn't kidding, yeah. but the other part was hundred percent true. I was, I, I, I believe if you would have taken a poll, say 2009, um, just before the Stefan Riche show, um, when I interviewed him and that was sort of my coming out to sharing mental illness. If, if you would have taken a poll across Canada for national broadcasters, who do you hate the most? I believe I would have won. I believe I'd like, I, I don't even think it would have been that close and it never bothered me. As a matter of fact, I mean, you could tell like it, it not only does it not bother me, I always kind of celebrated it. It's like, I don't care if you watch cause you like me or you hate me, just watch. But when I, when I, when I said what I said, when I came out that, that first day and I said, Hey, you know, I didn't say it this way, but uh, to abbreviate it, Hey, my name is Michael Landsberg. You know, I have battled an illness called depression for the last 10 years. I've battled anxiety since I was five years old. And you know what? Uh, those illnesses have taken a lot for me. And there was a date. Uh, I don't know if you can see the writing on my arm. November yep. 24th, 2008, um, Montreal Marriott Hotel Room 521, 4 a.m. in the morning. That for me was the moment when I, I understood why people take their own lives. I mean, it was like so clear to me sitting on the edge of my bed. We were shooting off the record at the Grey Cup. And I thought, wow, you know, I, 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 I get it. And the only thing that really saved me was the fact that I wasn't totally hopeless because I'd been through it before and I knew that there could be a road back. So after I came, actually, I didn't finish the statement. So my name is Michael Landsberg. I suffer from an illness called depression and anxiety. I understand why people take their own lives. I understand the pain of this illness that if you are battling on a given day, that day is a waste of your life because you can't feel any joy. I understand that. I'm on medication today and the rest of my life I'll be on medication. But, you know, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed and I'm not weak. And when I, when I said that, you know, a lot of people, you know, went, I, you know, I don't believe it. Not you. Right. Because that's that's the it's the no, not you illness. Right. Yeah. People people look at a guy like me or a guy like you who goes, hey, you know, like especially me with my, you know, the swagger that I had on the air and the confidence that people thought that I had. They go, no, no way. Not you. And a lot of people didn't believe me when I first when I first shared with it. I go, dude, you got to understand people don't lie about having the illness. They lie about not having the yeah. illness. So yeah. but I, I, I never really cared. But there's people that said, oh, you know, you just want us to like you. And I go, no, I, I really don't care if, if you like me or not. Well, I mean, I I don't question it for a second. And I think, you know, anybody that questions anybody when you're coming out with that, regardless if you're a sports broadcaster, an NHL player like Robin Leonard or someone like me or a fireman, a garbage man, whatever. Um, I mean, these things are real. And the, you mentioned uh, not being able to feel a sense of joy. So lately, you know, I've been this last couple of weeks, I spent a lot of time with the kids and my girlfriend. And um, she's just questioning me all the time, like, What's like, why are you, what's wrong with you? Like what, you know, you're not laughing. You're not, you're not even the same person these days. Like what the, like, what's wrong with you? Is it me? Like she thinks it's her fault or, you know, other people. And it's just like, I don't know. Like I have no, I can't explain it. And I just, I felt so debilitated. Um, and it's just, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. It, it, it feels like, um, 
what is this all for? I think uh, I'll be honest. And then because I promised I was to myself and to a few people, I'd be honest tonight, as I always am. It's not that I lie, but brutally honest to the point where I haven't told anybody this the last two weeks, maybe three, I've really been contemplating suicide, but not because I want to die or because I'm you know, making a plan, but I'm sitting here questioning like, is this all worth it? Is my life worth it? What is all this? Like, why can't I feel joy? Um, I just want it to end. And, you know, I'll go through ups and downs and, and different things. And um, I'm not like suicidal. I'm not making a plan. I don't want to die, but I just feel like I don't want to live. And I heard you talk about this. Um, something you said on one of your uh, Sick Not Week blogs, and I meant to tell you this before we went on because I wanted to say thank you, is that you shared this story about how you're walking your dog and there's people on one side of the road and people no people on the other. And it was up to you on which way you wanted to go. You want to be the, the introvert or the extrovert and just hide. And, and you made the decision to go, you know, to say hide people or whatever. Right. That really stuck with me. That really stuck with me. So let me ask you, I, I can't remember, is in that moment, did were you wanting to go the other way where there was no people and you pushed yourself? No. Uh, no. Okay. No. First of all, you know, I, 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 I love when you, because, you know, like I, like I said, I, I talk about this all the time, right? And I do a video blog every day. And it's it's actually really rewarding when you realize someone was listening. Uh, I mean, like I know people listen or watch, but when when you say something and it makes an impact on people's lives. So so for me, this was this was this was a test of how I was feeling. And sometimes, sometimes I need to test myself that way. So here I am walking down my street and I mean, my street is right there. And I was walking in that direction. And the first block I come to, and I look to the right and I see, uh, I see a whole bunch of people with their dogs. And I look to my left and I don't see anyone. And without thinking, which way am I going to go? I just reacted and I went to the right. And I realized like within a microsecond, that is a sign that I am me and that I want to show me off, that I want to talk to people. I want to make someone smile. I want to, you know, I want to enjoy interaction with people. And if I had turned left, uh, it would have been the fake me, the imposter me, the me that I don't want to be, the sick me. And my instinct on those days is always always to retreat, to avoid any kind of human contact possible. And, you know, I would say, what, what's your girlfriend's name? What's her Ta first name? Taylor. Yeah. Taylor. Yeah. You know, I would say to Taylor that, that, you know, the conflict that would exist between the two of you would be typical of almost every couple where one person in that couple battles uh, severe mental illness, um, whatever it is. Um, because, and this is something you would have heard me say many times, the healthy brain cannot understand the sick brain. No matter how hard Taylor tries, she's never going to be understanding of what it feels like not to be able to experience joy. And that's what breaks relationships up. That's what keeps people divided. That's why parents kick their kids out of the house. Like there's, it's so destructive and we all go through it. And the best thing that she can do is to find other people who are in a similar position uh, and also that she can accept the fact that while she does not understand it, it is real. And that if you could be happy and if you could smile, you would, but you can't. And it's because, because somewhere in your brain, you've lost that ability to experience joy. And the best analogy I can think of is you have a cold. And you say, oh, man, I got a terrible cold. I'm, I, you know, I'm going to have pizza for dinner. I love pizza. So you take a bite of the pizza and you can't taste it. Do you still like pizza? Of course. Is the pizza bad? No. 
why can't you taste it? Because you have lost the ability to taste. And depression in particular is the loss of the ability to experience joy. And unless you've been through it, you can't understand it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't wish anybody to go through it. I I've used to say that about like drug addiction. I don't wish that on anybody else either. But I'll tell you, like, there's been times in my life where I was diagnosed at 18 or just before my 18th birthday. They weren't really supposed to do it because I was still a minor or whatever. Put me on these medication effects or and I never I told you before, I never ended up really taking it. Um, but there's been times where I've seen, you know, psychiatrists and things at, at different times where they've been like, yep, yeah, you're depressed. And I tell them what's going on. But I'll tell you, these last two, three weeks, it's been on a whole nother level. I've never experienced anxiety like that. I've never felt so down in my entire life than I have these past few weeks based not being addicted to drugs. I mean, there's times you're in jail, drugs, whatever. I'm talking like things should be good. I mean, my life is going up. Uh, I'm clean. I got a family. I'm, but what the hell's going on here? You know? Sometimes, dude, sometimes you can't explain why you feel the way you feel because uh, like I could never explain why on a given time, on a given day, on a given year, why my depression was so bad. I mean, sometimes there's circumstances. I mean, you had circumstances over the last couple of weeks where, you know, where you were really, um, really affected by what went on with your friend. Uh, and that's clearly going to be called a trigger by anybody who knows anything about about uh, about mental illness. I mean, what could be a worse trigger than you, especially when you relate to someone, when you understand the, their position and you try to help them and you realize you can't. That's really painful. But sometimes you can't explain it. Sometimes, you know, you say, oh, you know, I should be happier. I, you know, I have I have a family and, you know, I'm drug free and I'm not in jail and all of these things. But unfortunately, logic doesn't always and, and very often doesn't dictate happiness. Right. You know, like I first fell into this depression the, the second year we had off the record. So here I am. I'm like I got the dream. I'm hosting this show. I'm meeting like unbelievably interesting people. Our ratings are incredible and the show wasn't actually that good so the fact that the ratings were incredible is probably <laughs> more of a tribute to tsn than anything else but so like I'm, I'm sitting on top of the world right and yet uh yet nothing nothing brought joy to me not one thing and i remember sitting in the green room name drop with lennox lewis former uh, heavyweight champion of the world and he uh, i guess because i did sports desk before that uh i guess he knew me from that right and he came in and he brought me a scrapbook of pictures of himself when he was like 10 or 11 in Kitchener, Ontario, where he spent a lot of his childhood. And I can remember him leafing through it. And I can remember thinking to myself, I, I got to get out of here. I just, I got to get out of here. Oh my gosh. Like Lennox Lewis is being so kind. He's taking me into his life. You know, like he, he's like Lennox Lewis. Right. And I just wanted to sprint out of there so badly. And that, I mean, that's 20 years ago now. So the fact that that moment still rings true in my head tells you how poignant it was. So, so like those circumstances who could be in better circumstances than that kind of living the dream. But your illness doesn't always look at your circumstances. Your illness sometimes just gets in your brain. And no matter what you do, you can't get it out of there unless you ultimately treat the illness. So, uh, you know, you your past couple of weeks are, um, you know, re really frightening for sure. Now, yeah, when yeah. you're in that position, do you do you um, 
do you think about drugs? Like, is 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 there an appeal to being able to uh, to numb the pain? No, actually, you know, I it's hard to explain. Like, so when I had to witness, you know, my friend going through what he was going through, it it really hit home for me where I don't want to go and and how that life can quickly catch up to you and where it'll take you, and it's going to take me to either death or jail. Those are my only options. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm very conscious of that. Um, having said that, uh, I don't think about doing drugs. Um, it's, it's weird. It's like, almost like I'm, I never really lived that life. Like they're not an option. Like I kind of like when I was like 16 or 17, it was like, if I feel this, uh, well, I'm not going to like, that's just not me. I, that's not an option for me. Like the drugs are not an option for me, but I'm, I'm telling you, like my bed has been my drug. I just want to lay down. Like that's all I want to do. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to, I have not answered my phone. I have so many messages to get back to. And I feel horrible because people have been, I've been connecting with people as you do for the last number of years. And all of a sudden, if you drop off the radar, if I'm having a bad day and I can't be there for someone, like I feel like I'm letting other people down. So then it pushes me into a more of a depression. I'm like, well, maybe I should just go off the map completely. I'm no good for anybody. I'm no good for myself. And uh, it's hard. Yeah. You know what? You know who's experienced that? Me. A hundred percent. Same thing. Um, I I have this expectation of myself um, of of being pretty high when it comes to, um, you know, sharing mental illness and being there for people. Right. And, you know, people will reach out to me as they would reach out to you. And I correspond with them and I become, you know, in, in probably a half dozen cases uh, all the time on the go, not cases, situations. I'm like the go-to person to prevent. Uh, like I, I have a woman on the East coast who, uh, who I've texted with every day for two years. And that v? that's V. Yeah, that's, that's V, and okay. V is in a really bad place right now. And okay. V, V called me on the phone last night, and we talked for forty-five minutes. And uh, you know, if if I, I looked at I, I looked at the phone, and I thought, okay, it's uh, it's V. I, I I don't I don't really feel like I have the strength, but this wave of guilt hit me, which was you have to answer that phone. And you know, my wife said afterwards, like like why do you have to answer that phone? And I think part of part of the illness, um, the way I've experienced it, is a need to please others, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I was a kid, and this this kind of all relates to what we're talking about. When I was a kid, I was like the best kid on the planet. I never did anything that bothered my parents. When I was young, my brother had a serious kidney disease and my parents were, you know, like, like obsessed with worry about him all the time. And I didn't want to be a cause of their problem. And then when my brother turned 17, 18, he started to drink and then he started to do prescription drugs. And, you know, his drinking was a huge problem. But I, I, not, I knew that. And I thought, okay, well, I can't give my parents any problem because they have enough problems with my brother. Uh, and ultimately, I think that way back when I learned that I need to please people. And when I don't do it, I feel this sense of guilt. Like if I wouldn't have answered that phone, uh, I, I would have felt guilty all night long. And uh, I understand what you're saying. Uh, the problem is this is something I, I said a couple of weeks ago in a blog, I think, because you, you'll probably just quote it and throw it back at me and say, oh, it's old material, Landsberg. But I said, do unto others as you do unto yourself. Like, think about it, you know, like the golden rule, which is do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. Well, those of us with depression in particular, we need to learn to do unto ourselves 
the way we do unto others. You read the eulogy, um, you know, for for your friend. And, you know, in that eulogy, his parents said that he would do anything for anyone at any time. But he couldn't take care of himself the same way. So he was kinder to other people than he was to himself. And I that that is something that I've seen over and over again. You know, people who are incredibly troubled and an incredible amount of pain will beat themselves up over it, but they'll do anything for somebody else. Yes, and that rings true. And certainly with me, I mean, holy hell, even when I was in my worst um, my worst addiction, I mean, you could argue when that was, but let's just say when I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, I mean, I was one of the most popular drug addicts going because I was going out doing whatever I needed to get drugs and, uh, and, and money just so, yes, I could take care of myself, but I would be the guy walking down the street, giving stuff to other people, trying to make everybody else feel good, or even though it was the wrong thing to do because you're supplying them drugs or whatever, it's misguided thinking. However, even in my worst times i was still like that it was like i was doing i was literally putting myself at risk um in so many different ways just to people please to get people to like you or to be accepted um to be kind to others and like you said it's funny you mentioned that that saying because i, I you know i heard it on your blog i was having a shower i was in the hot tub earlier uh, here and i had a shower just a couple hours ago i was literally sitting in the shower repeating that slogan to myself because I was that's scared. weird hating on myself i was hating on myself and i was like i was i was saying exactly that to myself you know what's what's it's so profound that you can offer somebody else incredible wisdom based on your own experience like and and now i'm outside of my comfort zone because i've never been addicted right um by the way my brother ended up uh going to rehab uh and could not get over his addiction. He lives in Vancouver and he co would call me at four o'clock in the morning and say, I, I, I don't know. I, I just like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, he goes, you know, it's not, not even that I'm like, like I, I'm not jonesing for drugs right now. I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. And he walked into the right psychiatrist's office who told him that he had anxiety disorder and panic disorder and probably some depression. And he put him on a medication and he never took another drink again. He was taking 12 milligrams of Adam van at a time. Most people would take 0.5, mm -hmm. maybe one, maybe one and a half. If you took 12 milligrams and you weren't a drug addict, you would, you would die an hour later. That's how addicted he was. And he was doing everything to self-medicate. Uh, and, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, fortunately for him, he ended up walking into the right doc's office. If he had walked into the wrong doc, doc's office, he'd be dead for sure. There's no way he would have continued to survive as he was. But, you know, when when you talk to somebody who has uh, a similar challenge that you have, drug addiction, and they're beating themselves up, you can intervene in this battle they have with themselves, right? And you can say, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. You know, like, like stop beating yourself up. You know, you have an illness. And you got to treat the illness because, you know, ignoring the illness is not going to make it go away. But, you know, you're not to blame for this illness. You may be to blame for not going to treat the illness, but you're not to blame for this. And you can you can like interject yourself in this fight that your friend is having with himself. But you can't do the same thing for yourself in the same situation that you're being kind to him and understanding to him, you're beating yourself up, right? He's not to blame, but you are to blame somehow. And that's a really difficult thing for us to understand. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot to take in, to be honest. It's, uh, but it all, everything you're saying and, and, and have said makes sense to me. And that's why I, that's why I follow you on, on sick, not weak. And, um, I, before we go any further, in case anybody doesn't know, um, you could follow, follow Michael at sick, not weak on Instagram. You also on YouTube and, um, it's, it's been a big help to me um, the past Good. few months. So thank you. Good. So you're uh, here. You are um, in your home. Is is I, I would assume that 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 your your home right now, right? Your studio is yep. in your home. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, in Susan's house. It's a it's a long story, but yes, doesn't matter. I'm living doesn't matter. So um, you know you've been through this hellish couple of weeks where you really wanted to disappear, right? You know, I, 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 I call it, I call it chasing cheer and I call everything by a name, right? Like I got a hashtag for everything. And sometimes I actually go, oh, shut up with your stupid hashtags. <laughs> but you know, like it's portable information, right? That yeah. you can maybe carry with you, like do unto you as you would do unto others. Uh, and it's like, you, you're going on this chase because, you know, you're standing and you're in a conversation with someone and you go, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. I just I don't know why, but I just got to get out of here. And then you go someplace else and you go, I got to get out of here. And you go someplace else and you keep searching for something. You're chasing something. And eventually you end up in bed. Right. Because that's the only place that's left to go. And that's uh, uh, like I, I was going to tell you this before that um, this was a while ago now. And when, when I was first talking about this, I was uh, on a show called Canada A.M., which was like the CTV morning show. And I talked about how every place I am, I want to be someplace else. That's depression for me. And I got a, I got a letter from a woman who said that she was watching with her son. Now, my immediate reaction was, why would your kid be watching Canada AM? Holy shit, what kid wants to watch that show? You must have made her watch. But she said that when I said what I said, her son pointed to the TV and said, that's me. That's what I've been trying to say. Everywhere I am, I want to be someplace else. And when you were around people, they get insulted, right? That you want to leave, you know, like, hey, like I, I know uh, how many times I've been for dinner with people that I love dearly, where as soon as dinner's over, I'm thinking, God, I got to get out of here. How can I get out of here? You know, like what excuse can I make? So um, my question is, uh, that was a hell of a buildup for a question. Um, so looking ahead to tomorrow, now that you're back in in uh, an environment um, that you're very familiar with, um, how, how do you look at tomorrow? Do you look at tomorrow with dread? Do you look at tomorrow with a little bit of optimism that maybe tomorrow will be better than the past couple of weeks? If, if you would have asked me, uh, you know, off the rep before the podcast, and it, it may sound silly to people, but doing this podcast has been very therapeutic for me. It's been a huge part of my recovery journey. There's no question about it. Um, I haven't done one. Uh, this is episode 101, 38 of this one, but, uh, you know, taking the three weeks off, I, I really considered, um, just shutting it down. I was like, is this even worth it anymore? And so if you would have asked me if we would have talked on the phone, uh, yesterday, I would have been like, yeah, I'm dreading tomorrow for sure. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, but since I pressed live and, and we're having this conversation, I do feel a lot better. I feel a lot more hopeful. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm still, I am, I'll be honest. I'm dreading it a little bit. It's like, when, what, when's it going to give, like, what's going to give for me to get not only through the hump of, uh, 
dealing with, you know, my mental illness. And so like, or, or mental health issues, I deal with the addiction that's gone. I'm clean over a year. Um, and I think the, the understanding is if once you're not addicted, you know, life is good. And I think that's a very, it's very misconstrued. I think a lot of people, it does, doesn't take too much common sense to realize that that's not true, but it's, you know, that's the idea. You get clean, life will be good. And so now I'm sitting here, I'm like a year clean and okay, so what, what the hell's the point to all this? Like what, what next? And so like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I wish I felt like I had, and I hate to say this because I have kids. I have so many great things in my life. I have, but I'll be honest. Like I just, I wish I had more motivation. I wish I had more, felt more of a reason to pick myself up and get going. And there's so many great opportunities in front of me, but I just can't find that drive right now. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's the kind of stuff that you just said. That's the magic in what you're doing because there's people going like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. You know, when everything around you suggests that you should be happy and you can't be happy, that's what really messes you up because you start to ask yourself, well, why can't I be like, what, like, like, you know, I'm clean and sober. You know, I have, I have a family. I have the things that I wanted to have and I can't be happy. Why is it? It's like you, why, why, why can't I be that? You beat yourself up for, for not being able to find joy. Right. And I, I think it, it comes down to a few things. Uh, let me, let me ask you this. Are you, uh, are you on medication at all? Well, I'm, uh, I'm I'm actually not on medication, prescription medication, but I have uh, over the last few months. I was I don't know if you've heard of microdosing mushrooms at all. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I've been doing, and I'll be honest. There's two, the last up until today, I had stopped taking them, uh, taking them for almost a year, uh, five days on, two days off, uh, and then the last two and a half weeks, I was off doing my my thing with my friend, whatever, and I just sort of was so focused on that that I kind of just left them here and I wasn't doing them. And so I don't know if that has a huge play on it, but it could. Um, but I'm supposed to be on, um, I want to say sip. I've been prescribed. Ciprolex, Ciprolex and, uh, and Vyvanse. And so I know you mentioned that too. And so, you know, yeah. it's something that I've really been considering um, these last couple of days is, is, is picking up that phone and, and calling the doctor and saying, okay, you know what? I'm ready. Um, I'm ready to try something different and, and actually try it, not just fill the prescription and, and look at it or call and tell them to send it to the pharmacy and then never go pick it up. Like I always have in the past and just actually committing to something. Because if I look at it this way, you know, if I could commit to six weeks or even three months of just trying it and it doesn't work well, where am I? I'm in the same position, but what if it does work? And so uh, I'm not on medication, but something that I've been, I've been really thinking about heavily, like heavily these last couple of days. Yeah. And, and you, uh, you need to do it uh, or something else, because what I hear in your voice is one of the worst characteristics of uh, the illnesses we're talking about. And when I say the word, um, people will nod their head. You know, I'm trying to follow. I got to put my glasses on to see the comments that you're getting from people. But people, you know, relate to this. Yeah, we're going to get to them. Right. But, you know, when I say this word, people go, yeah. And the word is hopelessness. 
like you, you at this point you're going, okay, well, you know, like I've, felt like crap for a while. Um, I'm going to feel like crap tomorrow morning. So what's the point, right? You know, like you, you, you need some hope. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about suicide because I think we need to talk about suicide and good for you for talking about suicide and good for you for sharing, you know, suicide attempts, because until it becomes part of the conversation, people will be afraid to ever talk about it. And I, you know, I think that uh, almost everybody who ends up attempting to take their life have felt a sense of hopelessness that becomes pervasive. I don't think people with hope that tomorrow could be better than today try to take their lives. And the hopelessness comes when, you know, you do the same thing every day, which, which, you know, maybe nothing like in terms of treatment and you just fall into this, this like, it's like you're mesmerized by this hopelessness that you're never going to get better. And when you decide that you're never going to get better, then that's when you get into real trouble. So I'm telling you about medication. And the irony for you is, right, like when you were on the streets, I imagine you pretty well would have put anything into your body, right? Yep. Right. I did. I did. Yeah, yeah damn right I did. Yeah. And so it's kind of ironic that you're so hesitant to take a drug that <laughs> actually, you know, like does have benefits. And I'm not here selling the uh, like I'm I'm not I, I think I probably told you this last time. I'm not, I'm not an advocate for medication. I'm an advocate for you. If you said, Brady, if you said, OK, well, you know, I have other options to try to find hope for treatment, I would say, Hey, by all means, go for those. But at a certain point, you got to leave everything on the table. So I'm not here to advocate for people. You got to go on medication. I can tell you that medication gave me my life back and probably saved my life. But I don't like being on meds. I hate being on meds. You know, this is another thing I'm sure I said to you before, and I've said it in blogs many times. You know, I hate the drugs I'm on. Escitalopram, also known as Ciprolex, Wellbutrin. I hate those drugs because of what they do to me. But I hate the illness way more. I have learned to love the thing that I hate the least. And what I hate the least are the medications. And yeah, you know what? You'll start taking the drug and you'll find that you have side effects that you don't like. But if you can get back to the point where you feel joy, mm -hmm. then you can say, okay, you know, like, okay, uh, I don't like the side effects. So that makes me not like the drug if going up means not liking it. But now, you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm starting to feel like I uh, like, like myself a little bit. And then the scales get turned. I, I think I may have fucked up what I was doing with my hands there, but you get the point. The point is that medication has to be an option. And the fact that, you know, you're so, you know, slow to want to go for it is just, just kind of funny when you think about it, that, yeah. you know, you, you know, if, if someone on the street would have handed you a pill and said, take this, you probably would have taken it without even asking what's in it. I'll probably be honest with you. I probably would have tried to crush it up and put it in a syringe. That's how bad I was, yeah. Michael. No, no word of a lie. I have to be honest. That's just the way that I was. And I, I did that. I mean, I did, uh, man, uh, I did some pretty crazy things. Um, you know, I even injected bleach one time by accident because somebody so pretended to sell it as something else. And my whole arm was dyed up. Blue. Was, oh my God. Was, oh yeah. Michael, it was bad, man. I was, I was in a really, people don't understand how bad my addiction really was. And I know addiction is addiction and mental illness is mental illness, but I was, I was really bad. And so I think you make a really, really strong point on why am I hesitant on that when I would be so, um, you know, I would just jump all over it. You know, I make me feel better now. Like I, I think of it this way when I was withdrawing um, from the opiates. Thank you, Susan, for the refill. Um, 
Uh, not, was, not to refill of opiates, right? No, refill okay. of Because it sounded like, hey, thank you for the refill. Like, oh, my God, look at these oxys. Yeah, no, but when, so when I was withdrawing from 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 you know opiates uh i would have if you would have you know brought a pile of dog crap in my face and said hey you eat this you'll feel better give right. me more and i just wouldn't even think about it i wouldn't even think i didn't even stop to think like i told you about the bleach i didn't stop to think to what that really was it was like okay that might be what i want let's go let's and so you know i'm very you, you make a really good point and it's you know like i told you i've been thinking about taking the meds but why am i not why am I thinking so much about it? Yeah, I'm doing it? the math here, dude. When you were 18, you were diagnosed with depression and given a uh, prescription for Effexor. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Right. How long ago was that? That's uh, carry the two 15 years ago. So oh, like for that. 15 years, you've been sitting on, you know, should I try medication or not? Time to fucking do it, man. <laughs> like, like I said, you know, like right now, I, I, you know, when when you say I really don't have the motivation to get out of bed and the things that should bring me joy aren't bringing me joy, that to me tells you tells me that I, I don't mean this totally, but in a little bit, you got nothing to lose, right? You know, like you're really suffering right now. And, you know, the downside to medication is that, you know, you can have side effects from the medication, but you can stop taking the meds. And Vyvanse, by the way, which is not an antidepressant, which is a stimulant yeah. for ADHD. I mean, I, like I, I take Vyvanse Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, because if I take it every day, which I'd like to do, uh, I, I can't sleep at night, right? So I take it Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And honest to God, Brady, I will sit, I will, you know, I, I wake up at five to do the radio show. I finish the radio show at 10. Then I start to think about sick, not weak. Then I go on a conference call and then I give a speech to a corporate and I like, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, more, more, more. I can do all of this. And it's like, I, I, I think back to when I was in university, unable to concentrate on anything eventually failing out at the University of Toronto. If you would have given me Vivance at that point, it, it doesn't make you it, it doesn't make you anything but normal, right? So it's like, okay, now the playing field is even. Now I can focus the way other people focus. So if I was you, um I and I'm gonna push you on this, like not not on the air. I mean, I'm not on the air with you that much, but I'm gonna text you tomorrow and the next day. I'm gonna say, you know, what are you doing about it? Because if motivation is tough, then it's tough to get motivated to go in, you know, start on medication. But you need someone sometimes pushing in the back and saying, you know, just do it, man, just do it. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, I, I really appreciate that. And I think these are the kind of conversations that not only that will be helpful to me, but there's a lot of people uh, that will listen to this and watch this. I don't know how many, but usually we get somewhere around a thousand viewers, listeners uh, per episode, which is pretty good considering I don't pay yeah. for advertising and everything else. And I'm, I'm quite proud of that. Um, but I think that a lot of people are going to listen to this and, and and be inspired to to maybe make that call, make that call to their doctor because uh, especially now more than ever with COVID, I mean, holy man, this uh, the world's not in a very good place, and and certainly I'm not these last couple of weeks. I have a question for you though, and so this goes back, you know, you, you talked about Robin Leonard earlier, and so. You know, he actually follows puck support on, I talked to him, I don't know, six months ago and I've tried to message him, but he didn't message me back recently. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Robin, Robin Leonard. I'm not really a big fan of goalies. I'm a right winger by trade, but um, really a big fan of what he's, 
you know, what he stands for, what he's, he's opened up and, and spoken out about. How do you think uh, the NHL is dealing, like on a whole, I mean, collectively, if somebody comes out with uh, a story of depression or anxiety or something like that, how are, how are, maybe not the NHL, but how are the people in the NHL, players, the league, whatever, coaching, how is it being looked at in your mind, if you don't mind answering? Yeah. Are we there yet where it's not going to affect the guy's career too much? Or do guys need to be a little bit, um, you know, hesitant on, on coming forward with that? You know, it's uh, it's a question that I, I don't think I can give you uh, a, a good answer on. Uh, it's like when I talk about stuff, I only talk about stuff I really know. Right. Yeah. And I really know this stuff because it lives in my head. Um, so I'm just guessing from talking to different people and from what I read, uh, I would say without a doubt, the National Hockey League has an amazing uh, drug, alcohol yeah. and uh, mental health program. Like the program that they refer to is is unbelievable. I mean, just talk to Brant Myers. Yeah. Have you Myers on your show didn't we yeah, we, we talked about this. Yeah. I've tried, but he you know, he's given me the I'm too busy. This kind yeah. of. You know what? That's that's bullshit. I'm going to, you know, uh, he's he's my buddy. And yeah. um, there's there's uh, he need, he needs to come on because he's 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 a great example yeah. of everything we've talked about, you know, addiction and mental illness and and giving up on yourself and hating yourself and being kind to others. And he I mean, he got four chances uh, and he he said, I lie. I never told the truth to anyone. He said, as a drug addict, I lied. I lied. Are you clean? Of course, I'm clean. Where were you last night? Oh, I was, you know, visiting my mom, you know, like, um, you know, here, pee in this bottle. And I would go and I would replace the pee with somebody else's pee. He said, I just lived a lie and I kept getting caught and I would be put in the program and I never planned on getting clean. I just figured I'd just go through it and then get back to getting a paycheck. Uh, and they never gave up on him. Like the NHL literally never gave up on him. And, uh, you know, I, I there's a lot of things about the NHL I don't like. Uh, I, 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 the whole concussion thing, I think yeah. they've handled terribly. Yeah. The whole CTE thing, I think yeah. they've, you know, has been uh, horrifying. Um, but I, I have to say that the the program that exists between the NHL and the Players Association is amazing. And you're lucky if you're a hockey player and you have a mental health challenge or you have an addiction because you're going to get the greatest care in the world. Whereas, you know, the average person in Aurelia where you are isn't getting the kind of care that that they yeah. got. I mean, God, I have this conversation every day with people, you know, you know, like my friend V. I said to her, I said, you know, you, like why are you not seeing a psychiatrist? And she said, well, you know, I was, and then my psychiatrist moved away and now I'm on the bottom of a list. I said to her, you're talking about suicide. You're talking today about killing yourself. No one can be ahead of you in the line. No one can be in worse shape than you. You can't get worse than killing yourself, right? So the fact that you're in your house needing to call me and I'm happy to talk to you, right? You know, I love you. I care for you. I, you know, I do do anything I can for you, but I can't make you better. I'm not a doctor. I can't treat you. And the fact that you're not at the front of the line is bullshit. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? And so I, I can kind of understand where if anybody else has gone through that, it's like, I, I don't know why I, it's a very good question. Why haven't I, why have I not taken that? The, why haven't I made that call? Why am I not in the front of the line? Why is V not in the front of the line? Why is it that we want to sit back on our own and try to tackle this by ourselves, whether in our bed or um, through, you know, just a phone call or whatever, when there are alternative options 
to actually get help. And I think, I don't know. I wish I, I wish I had more of an answer for myself, but I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to make a, uh, you know, I'm going to make a promise uh, to myself um, that I am going to make that phone call tomorrow um, and and at least give it a try because I, I'm sick of feeling this way. And, um, you know, maybe it's not going to solve all my problems. I think there's a lot of other things that need to take place in my life for things to get better. I got to get back uh, exercising or whatever that looks like for me. I'm not doing a great job at that these days. Um, but man, like, yeah, it is. It is complete BS that yeah. Why am you know, I? The problem is the problem is that to go and chase the help, you have to have the energy to chase yes. the help. And so the illness sucks all of the energy out of you and then says, okay, go fight. And you go, well, you know, I, I can't fight back because I, I don't have any energy. You know, I just, I just don't have the desire to do anything and doing something means going in and getting help. And that's one of the complexities of the illness, right? You can't get help from your bed and you don't want to get out of your bed. So what the hell are you going to do? And that's why you need, sometimes you need people like, like dragging you out and saying, okay, I know, I understand why you don't want to get out of bed. I understand that feeling, but um, you you need to do it. And if someone's got to drag you, then someone's got to drag you. And that's, you know, like AA has, has you know, where you have a, a sponsor, right? Yeah. Uh, and with mental illness, you know, I, I mean, although I'm sure you would qualify if you wanted for, you know, for AA and getting a sponsor. But when it comes to mental illness, you need someone to say, dude, you're not seeing the world correctly. You're, you know, like you're doing the same thing day after day and ending up in the same place. And you got to break that cycle. And like, I don't care if it's going on meds. Like I told you before, I'm not here to advocate for medica medication, but you got to do something right? Because there's no reason to think that tomorrow won't be shitty if the last however long has been shitty. And by the way, back to your NHL, I, I think the, I, I, it's really hard to say. I mean, I got to know Mike Babcock pretty well because of his mental health stance. Uh, and, you know, he talked a lot about how, you know, he's very open with his players about mental health. And, you know, I was, it really upset me um, the stories that came out about him and how he um, allegedly had been abusive to players. Like and, Mike Commodore and, and that. Yeah, like Mike Commodore, my God, like just hates him in a way that, you know, <laughs> like I've never hated anything like that. Like if Hitler walked through my house, I'd go, hey, you know, hey, Hitler, get out of my house. But if if Mike Babcock walked into Mike Commodore's house, he'd be like, like he'd grab him by the throat. So I guess what I'm saying is that I was I was certainly I, I felt like the NHL was moving in the right direction. Um, the the Maple Leafs are a really good organization. They have players have access to a psychiatrist that um, is sworn to secrecy. So if you're a player with the Maple Leafs and you say, you know, I, I don't feel good or I'm drinking too much or, you know, you need to see a shrink, uh, you can call that person anytime. And that person um, will offer you, you know, the best treatment they can offer you and is not by contract allowed to tell um, Kyle Dubas or yeah. or Sheldon Keefe. And that's 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 a huge thing. So I think they're moving in the right direction. But, you know, there's still fear, as there is in most workplaces, of being seen as weak. And if you know, nobody wants to be seen as weak. And until we accept the fact that mental illness is not about weakness, but about sickness, we'll continue to keep it a secret. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I didn't, I wasn't, uh, I actually met with the NHLP, a few members from the NHLPA on 
want to say last Monday, maybe um, Rob, Rob Zepp and uh, Jason Harrison and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting names now because I'm, I'm on the spot, but it was a, it was a great meeting. And so like, you know, part of their mental health team and, and the program team. And so, you know, we just had an open conversation about my story and, and about what they're, you know, what they do. And uh, I was, you know, because I never made it to quite to that level, even though I've right. friends and stuff, um, you know, your people aren't really, to you know the the uh, the knowledge about the program, other than books like Brands and and Theos and and different things, uh, there's not too much out there about it. So I was actually very pleasantly surprised with the amount that they do. I mean, it didn't surprise me because it is the NHL. But where my concern comes in is for like the guys that don't make it to the NHL that don't have that for um, sure that care. And so guys in the A, guys in major junior that bust their butts to get there their whole life, and then they're told they're not good enough or something happens and it's uh, it can become disastrous. Yeah. Hey, I've become buddies with Cam Jansen. Uh, we put him on the radio <laughs> show once a yeah. week. And, I talked and to him a month ago. Really? I mean, Cam is, I, oh, I fucking hated Cam Jansen, right? Because he and my buddy Wade Belak, you know, had yeah. these legendary fights. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I, when I say I hated him, I hated him in a hockey context. Of course. Right? Yeah. Like, like if you're a fan of a team, you hate players on the other team. You don't really hate them. That's just kind of like, that's what being a fan is, right? Is feeling this passion, which is, you know, you love your team and you hate the other guys. So I got to know Cam Jansen and, you know, he, uh, he told me about how there was a time when he got sent down to the American Hockey League and he'd had a taste, right, of the NHL, a really good taste, you know, like he played seven or eight years in the NHL. And in the midst of that, he was sent to the minors and he was really struggling. And, you know, he never came out and said it, but he, you know, he talked about painkillers and he talked about, you know, dulling the pain and he talked about depression. And I thought, wow, you know, like, like there's a guy who, needed probably at the time someone to come to him and say, hey, Cam, you know, like, are you okay? Uh, and not take, uh, I'm fine for an answer. Um, so I, I think that the NHL uh, is, I think the NHL offers great support to its players. Like, hey, hey dude, if, if, if I, I wish, having had this conversation with you, I wish tomorrow that you could call up the, uh, the program and say, hey, I need to talk to a psychiatrist because I, I want to go on medication. I'm finally ready to do it. Uh, and you would talk to a psychiatrist and I have no doubt that they would give you a prescription for medication because you fall, you know, tick off all the things, you know, for depression. <laughs> But you don't have access to that. I mean, read read the uh, there's there's uh, a message here from Dean Smeal. Yes, yes, I was going to get to that. So that's Stan Smeal's brother, by the way. Ah. Like Stan Smeal. So he's a friend of friend of mine, Dean. Yeah, Dean says, okay, listen, Mr. Landsberg, I've walked some of the same streets that Brady has, but now three years sober, I'm on Estrella. I can't even. Estrellapram, which is actually Ciprolex. Ciprolex. Okay, good good thing you could pronounce it. But listen to both of you tonight. I have so many of these troubles. So who does a guy see? A family doctor, or who would be best? Does a person have to go sit and talk about all those shitty thoughts to someone to get meds or help? No, I I, I mean, unfortunately, our system is just really, you know, beyond shitty when it comes to mental illness, right? You know. It, 
everything else, like I, I don't know if you've had other health problems, but if you went to your family doctor in Aurelia and he like did a workup and he listened to your heart and uh, he took your blood pressure and he sent you for blood tests and the results came back and he thought, man, you know, Brady's got some, like there's something really wrong with his heart. You would be in to see a cardiologist in a, in a hospital, you know, like in a day or two days. Um, certainly not more than that. Um, but with what you have now, no one seems to see the sense of urgency. And the only thing that you can do is the you can go to the emergency ward, which is um, which is a flawed system, mm -hmm. or you can try to get in to see your family doctor, which is not always as easy as it sounds. And some people don't have a family doctor. But, you know, what you should do is you should walk into your family doctor um, as soon as possible. And you should lay it on the line, like where, you know, many of us try to protect others from our problems, right? So you minimize it, right? You say, yeah, you know, I'm okay. You know, but the truth is you're not okay. Yeah. And it's like, I've had this conversation recently with somebody else two days ago, where I said to her, what did you say to your doctor? And she said, oh, you know, I told my doctor I wasn't in very good shape, but I wasn't terrible. I said, well, why did you tell him that? How's your doctor going to know how best to treat you if you're minimizing your illness? You can't do that. Like you need to walk in and you need to say, man, I'm going through a really hard time and I, I, I need some advice. I need some guidance. I need a treatment plan. And um, the, the last part of what, uh, what Smeal asked was, um, do you have to tell your story and, you know, go through it all? No, you don't. I mean, first of all, no family doctor is going to want to sit down with you for, you know, an hour every couple of days and talk about it. They're not qualified or equipped to do that. Um, so, I mean, there's two different dimensions of this. Like you could certainly benefit from talking to someone about your challenges in life and what you've been through. Um, but there's also a chemical aspect of this, which is that, you know, you can't experience joy. You have this feeling of, of doom and gloom that is pervasive to you that, um, you know, I think medication would be the right thing for that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what was the, do you like, so you're saying second year into, into off the record, you know, you're feeling depressed. You're there with Lennox Lewis and, and everything. Yeah. So at what point in time did you seek help and, and when did, when did that happen? So I, uh, I remember in the fall of our second year, uh, I remember going to my family doctor and saying, uh, and I thought he, he was a great guy and he was, he just retired a few years ago, but I, I loved him, but he had a bad day because I said to him, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing well. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I, for sure I'm, I'm depressed. He said, well, what's wrong? And I said, I, I don't know what's wrong. Right. You know, I, I just, I just, I, I have no motivation, no passion, no feeling of joy. I, I would rather not do anything. And that's not me. And he said, oh, well, you know, are you exercising? And I went, yeah, I'm exercising. He goes, well, you know, um, not you. He goes, I see you. You walk in here. You're talking to the receptionist. Not you. And it was like, fuck, he didn't understand that that people like me and you can put on the mask, right? Mm -hmm. I can look like the happiest guy in the world. I mean, how many stories have we heard? Awful stories about people who appear to be fine, and then they try to take their lives. So he said to me, you know, go and, you know, like, just try to do more fun things or whatever. And I went back to my life. And for three months, I kept slipping, slipping, slipping until one day I realized that I'm not me. I am, I've been replaced by someone who's pretending to be me.
Mm-hmm. I've lost who I am. I don't want to be this person. I don't like this person. And I, at that point, it was like, okay, I had to, I had to talk my way into a psychiatrist's office, right? Because he gave me a referral to a psychiatrist and that was eight months down the road. And my buddy, um, you know, who was producing the show at the time said, well, I have a psychiatrist. So I called her on the phone and she said, you know, I'm not supposed to be taking calls from people. I go, okay, well, while I got you, let me tell you my story. And she said, fine, come in and see me. And that was kind of like the first step for me towards finding uh, recovery um, in a different context than yeah. you would normally use recovery. No, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a form of recovery. So yeah. how, how did you feel about that in that moment? Like when you were told like, oh, you know, maybe you have this or this, like how did, how did that make you feel? And how much were you willing to share with the, the people closest to you, maybe your family or coworkers, things like that, or originally compared to obviously now you're out there in the world yeah. sharing your experience. But what about right away? You know, I, I, I never felt that sense of shame. And it's weird. I, I, I'm not 100% sure why. It was like, I, I, I never cared. Like, I remember when I went to my the psychiatrist for the first appointment, I came back and I put the pills on the table. Uh, she had prescribed me Prozac. And this is how, how badly I desperately wanted to get better. Uh, I took the prescription, went downstairs to the pharmacy in the uh, main floor. I filled the prescription, bought a bottle of water and took the first pill. That's like I was I was desperate. I was like I was like someone who was starving to death. And there was a little piece of food in front of me. I couldn't wait to get that pill in me because I was dying. And when I got back to work, I remember putting the pill down and say, hey, I'm on Prozac. And. I mean, I'm thinking back and thinking, you know, like, why was that so easy for me? And I, I don't have an answer. But, you know, the the what I try to do is I try to to share that feeling with other people to empower them to do, you know, the same kind of thing as me. And sharing is a skill, right? You know, the first time you do it, it's like, oh, God, you know, uh, this is really hard for me to say. And, you know, if you do it again and again and again, eventually, you know, you become pretty good with the sound of your voice saying, hey, my name is Michael Landsberg. I battle an illness called depression. I'm on medication. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. And I'm not weak. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, Michael, you're like, oh, let, you know, we're on the same level and all this. But I think the amount of people that you've empowered especially over the years and continue to um you know it goes back to what you're saying you know not you i mean you're you know you're confident you're on tv one of the most no, not you not you michael landsberg no way right um so i think when people see that it can be you michael landsberg successful sports broadcaster uh, icon here in canada essentially and if you seem to have it all together and you can feel that way and you can take that step to get help, I think that the the impact that you've had and will continue to have is is quite a bit larger than than what you've uh, ever let yourself realize. Right. But no one's ever benefited from from complimenting themselves overly too much. <laughs> but 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 I, I agree with what you said is that cocky swagger that I have is proof to people that you can't always tell you know, who's the sick one in the room. And that's a really important thing to consider when, you know, if you have an 18 year old son and you look at your son and you say, you know, looks like he's fine, you know, doesn't mean that he's fine. I'm not saying behind every fine person or every fine look or every smile is something terrible, but you know, I'm proof that you can fake it to the point where, you know, you can convince a hundred thousand people a day that you're okay. And as a matter of fact, you, they can convince a hundred thousand people every day that you, that you think you're awesome when in fact you think the opposite. 
Well, uh, I mean, you, 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 I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but you did a hell of a job putting on that mask. I'll tell you that much. You know, it's a good thing because uh, I was able to keep doing the show, right? Yeah. And um, I think that, I think the brain has a greater ability to remember joy than pain. So what I'm saying is that sometimes I forget like what I felt like back then. And then I'll have a bad day now, which is in no way close to what my bad days were back then. And I'll be reminded of this thing called depression. And it will be, it will be so jarring to me. This will be me. Oh my God, this is, this is like way worse than I remembered. Way worse. It's like, you know, women go on to have a second child, even though the first birth of their first child may have been the most painful thing that they could ever imagine. And they could never imagine being back in that position. You know, you go back to the dentist, even though you may go, oh my God, that hurts so much. We can't remember pain. And when I get reminded of depression and what that is like, it freaks me out, Brady. It, honestly, it's like, oh, God, oh, God, I'll do anything not to go back to that place. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, when I get through this, I, I'm I'm damn well sure that I don't ever want to feel like this again. And uh, needless to say, I mean, that just because you take certain steps, whether it be medication or whatever, doesn't mean that you're going to have great days every day. There you go. See, that, that's, that's well, Butrin. Okay. You take it how how often do you take you have a set schedule? Are you like on timer with your medication or, or how does that work for you? Like is it uh, okay? So I take uh this drug Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant, not in the same family as escitalopram, which is what uh uh Dean Schmiel, Smeal, yeah, that, that his name, um was saying. Uh and I take that every morning and night, and I take Ciprolex in the morning as well. And this is this is what this blew me away a couple of weeks ago. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I said to, uh, to Karen, my wife, I said, you know, I forgot to take my medication. And it's the first time, the first time in 11 years, not only the first time that I forgot, I'd never been late by more than 10 minutes. You know, I take it every day at 10 a.m. And it's, it's, I mean, that's fear, right? The, the fear. And that's the fact that, you know, like this pill gave me my life back. And as much as I dislike some of the things it does to me, uh, it's given me the opportunity to, on a Sunday night, to click on your show, to have this conversation and to feel a sense of joy just from doing what I like doing, which is, which is talking and talking to other interesting people like you. So, um, I, I, I'm religious about taking my pills because I know what the other side looks like. Yeah. Well, no, thanks for sharing that. I think it's an, I think it's an important piece. Uh, I want to get to uh, before I know you got uh, early morning tomorrow, probably. Okay. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be fun. Trade deadline. I know Masters this afternoon, although it was kind of boring A runaway winter is never fun, uh, but yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, I know you're you're really busy, and I appreciate this. I know you're always like, oh, I'm not that busy, but 5 a.m. Uh, radio show with uh, Carlo Koliakovo comes pretty early. And uh, my, before we get into the comments, what is it like if you wake up, you know, I don't know what time you wake up at or whatever, but and you know that today maybe isn't going to be the best day. Is there something that you do um, or that something that can bring you back to, to push through to make sure that you go and do your job the best that you can or even show up every day? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think what there is, is I, I try to separate those thoughts from the rest of my brain. Uh, 
So it's like, uh, and uh, tomorrow morning when I wake up, I will, I will be feeling, you know, afraid of things that, um, that could happen to me and the people that I care about. I will be looking at the day and thinking nothing is going to feel good that, that, you know, uh, I, I'll, I feel depressed and anxious. And what I have to do is put that aside. And this is not easy to do for me or anybody else and make the assumption that it will pass because most days it does. You know, the first hour or two of my day are always really difficult for me, but most days it does pass. And as the day goes on, I may have ups and downs, but I'm not down here. So I, I try to just go, uh, 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 like I can hear the voice in my head saying that, you know, you suck and this and that, but I'm not going to listen to you. You know how, like when you were in school, you would go, la, 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 I can't hear you. Well, that's what I do with, the, you know, the voice of depression. Uh, and sometimes I do it really well and sometimes I don't. But but you do it and, and you show up every day. And, and I mean, man, uh, I don't know. I've been... you know sometimes, let me let me interrupt you because. Yeah. Uh, if you had to do hockey to hell and back every day, um, you would show up to do the show every day, even though there would be days that you didn't feel like you should or that you could, you, you knew that you should. Like having the responsibility to do something sometimes is the motivation that it takes to get you to go on with your day which ultimately leads you to a better place. Because if you don't go on with your day and you lie in bed, which is what we all want to do in those situations, you know, you, you kind of, your illness feeds off itself. Like you were saying before, like you were describing this cycle where, you know, you lie in bed and you're feeling crappy. That's why you're in bed. And because you're in bed, you're missing out on doing things and you know that you're letting people down. That makes you feel worse. So the longer you're in bed, the worse you feel about being in bed. And if you have a responsibility like a show, hockey to hell and back, and you had to do it every day at five o'clock or eight o'clock at night or six o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, you'd probably do it every day. And you would be thankful that you had something that forced you to get out of bed. Very good point. Very, very, very good point. Uh, my last question for you uh, before just a couple comments and then I'll, I'll let you go. I know you got to get to bed in that. Yeah, just, just by the way, you know that that when you say I'll let you go, that's fucking bullshit, man. If I want to go, I'm going to go. You're not holding me here. So just so you know, I'm going to go. When I want to go. <laughs> well, thanks, sir. Uh, th hey, that's what I love about you, right? It's great. But who do you got for the – who's winning the Stanley Cup? Who do you got? You know – I just, I, I fear, like, I think the Leafs are really good, right? Yeah. And, and, and without a doubt, uh, I mean, this is not exactly a huge statement, but Austin Matthews is the best player ever to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, like, he is the best player. That doesn't mean he's had the best career, right? Because obviously his career is not nearly as long as Daryl Sittler and, and Boris Salming and, you know, other great Leafs. But where Austin Matthews is right now, he is the best player that has ever played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I don't even think it's close. I mean, like, when was the last time the Leafs had a first or second team All-Star? When was the last time a Maple Leaf actually, you know, led the National Hockey League in goal scoring? When was the last time a Leaf was actually, like, like where you would say, like, Matt Sundin was a great player. But he was never, and I, I don't mean to disrespect Matt Sundin, but he was never top 10 in the league, maybe never, maybe not even top 15. You know, so like, where's Austin Matthews? I mean, in terms of forwards, he's either, he's number two probably. Um, so 
Like, how good is that? I, I, ahead of him. You got McDavid ahead of Matthews? I guess so. I mean, like at a certain level, like at a, at a certain point, you know, part of how good a player plays is his surroundings. Uh, and I mean, right now, Matthews is playing with like the most gifted playmaker that plays the wing, you know, and Mitch Marner. Oh my God. Like, like yeah. it's so weird that Matthews is the trigger guy and Marner is the setup guy, but Matthews is the center and Marner is the winger. Yeah, uh, but they have such unique abilities that it's it's crazy how good they are. Um, so I I mean goaltending is a huge thing for Toronto, right? You know, uh, they they've they have not won a playoff series since two thousand and two, and the biggest reason in the last three four years is that the other team's goalie has played better than the Leafs goaltender, and almost always you're not going to win a series if that's the way. You know, is Jack Campbell you know the answer? Like. Let's hope for sure. But uh, but the West looks really strong, you know, like it just like Colorado looks like a great team. Yeah. You know, Vegas looks like a great team. There's, there's probably three teams, four teams in the West that I would say the Leafs would have a tough time with, but be fun. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, I, I know a lot. I'm not from Ontario. I'm here now. I'm, I like I'm from Vancouver. So, you know, I've had to watch the Canucks twice lose in the finals in my lifetime. Not the New York Islanders was before me. Uh, but man, and watch my city get torched both times. So I'm hoping that now I've moved to Ontario. I'd love to see the Leafs win. And that's really who I hope wins the cup this year. I, I think the people of Ontario have just They've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and uh, this may be the year, but I don't want to jinx it. So thanks for sharing your opinion on that. I just want to get to a couple comments. Uh, I won't get to them all, so I apologize if you're if you're watching. Thanks for staying with us. Um, where do I want to start? Uh, Michelle Altpolino says, Sick Not Week has been a help for me as well. I can relate to so much of what you are saying. I thank God I met you, Brady, and Matt Shop buying a stick that had barely been used. So I met Michelle uh, up in uh, Morrisburg, but she's a follower of yours too. So thank you, Michelle. Um, here's a question for you from one of my uh, one of my friends out in Alberta. David Carlson says, Michael, with all the people that you've interviewed, who was the most impactful on a spiritual level, the wow factor? Is there one? Um, I mean, there seems like there's a lot of questions in that one question. Um, I mean, for sure, the person that had the most impact on me was Stefan Riche because, yeah. I mean, it, it, it wasn't even so much because of necessarily, it was just this combination of factors. It was like, oh my God, like the stars aligned for this one moment where at that point in my life, I just come off the worst year of my life. Uh, Stefan Riche happened to be in our green room doing the show because Stars on Ice or no, Battle of the Blades was in Toronto. Uh, I'd never met him before. Just before I went to the green room, I had read that he suffered from depression in the 1990s. So all of these things combined to get me to say, hey, Stefan, can I ask you about, uh, about your depression? And he said, no, I, I, I don't like to talk about it. And I said, okay, well, you know, I, I don't want to cause you any pain, but if you'll talk about it, I'll talk about it. And that's when he said, no, not you. And I said, yeah, me. He goes, not you. I go, me. And I told him a bit of my story and he said, okay, we went on and that changed my life. You know, the next day I started getting responses, um, you know, from people, um, you know, who said that, um, and it wasn't, wasn't even anything particular that he said. It was the fact that it was two men talking about mental illness, depression in particular, mm 
um, with, without being ashamed and without sounding like losers, right? I mean, the fear is if you talk about it, all, people are going to think I'm a loser. And then you hear Stefan Richet, two-time Stanley Cup champion, 50-goal scorer twice. Last Montreal Canadian scored 50 goals. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Michael Landsberg, the, the host that you either, you may, maybe you like him, maybe you hate him, but you think, well, you know, he's you know reasonably successful, like he's hosted this show, so maybe saying that I have depression doesn't make me a loser. So that was the most impactful thing that ever happened to me and everything that has happened since when it comes to sick, not weak. And, you know, the people that I've come in contact and, and the joy that it has brought me, you know, like doing a show like this, you know, I would never probably have had, if not for all of those stars being aligned and Stefan Riche walking in and saying, uh, I'd rather not talk about it. Well, it's one of those things that you just look at and it happened exactly at the right time and for the right reasons. And it's, you know, I'm very grateful that you guys had that conversation because like I mentioned in the intro, there was nothing really talked about. Um, certainly not men, certainly not in sports, in the sports world. It was like, no, that's not, that's a, a no-go territory. Um, so thank you for answering that. Thank you, David, for all your support over the uh, the last year. Um, Sandra Murray, friend of mine, part of Puck Sport here, says, Michael, for the first time in my career as a mental health and addiction professional, I'm struggling with compassion fatigue. Do you struggle with this as well? I think we touched on it a little bit. If so, any tips on how to cope with the element of helping others in crisis? I know self-care is important, but compassion fatigue can really take a stronghold. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, if, if I didn't struggle with it, then I'd probably have some great ideas for you on how not to struggle with it. Um, but the fact that, you know, it does, I do get worn down. I mean, part of it, and this is going to sound kind of strange, but it relates to really everything we've been saying. And part of the reason why I don't get as fatigued as maybe she would is because I'm on meds and meds do have a slightly numbing effect on you. So you can hear, you know, terrible stories over and over again. And while you feel them, you don't embrace them the same way that if you weren't on medication. So I think, you know, that's one thing. And that's one of the things I don't like about medication is the fact that it numbs me to feelings that I want to have. Like people will tell me stories and I'll be going, oh, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I'll be thinking to myself, Okay, you got to look like you're really sorry. So you have to show the face of someone who's really pained by hearing this story. But I'm not feeling it. I'm 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 showing. I'm acting right. So I think that in that regard, it makes you know talking uh, you know about this kind of thing every single day, you know, multiple times a day, uh, in different formats, a little bit easier. And uh, I I mean I've said the same thing to to my family where I've said you know. <sighs> I just, I, I just don't have the, I just don't have the strength to, to look after anybody else because I feel like I need someone to look after me. And sometimes the helper never gets the help, right? You know, because as the helper, you seem like the strongest person in the room because you're doling out help to people. Uh, and very seldom does someone think, you know, is, is, is he okay? You know, because he, he seems like he's okay, you know, and um, so I guess the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: How, how like, how are you doing? The, do do you have someone that checks in on you? Do you have do you have your regular check ins? I know you talk to a lot of people, but who who's checking in on Michael Andrew? You don't need to tell me who, but is there? Oh someone? no, I, it, it's you know, like I have a I have a really good relationship with my wife. Yeah, and this is the conversation we'll have. Hey, uh, you okay? This is me. Yeah, yeah. Why? She'll go. No, you're not. And I'll go. I'm not. 
And it's it's funny how my first reaction is always to say, yeah, I'm fine. Right. I mean, it's like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing, man? You know, first of all, you owe it to the people that you care about who care about you, to be honest with them. So they don't perceive your sullenness as being, you know, part of the, a relationship problem. Right. You know, so like, you know, my wife needs to know that it's not that I don't love her and it's not that I don't love our lives together. It's that I'm sick on this given day. But I and she'll like she knows um because you see, I'm, I'm, if I was a different kind of person, like the normal me is the one who's kind of the life of the party, right? And when I'm not that, it's really obvious that something's up with me. Uh, and so I have someone, you know, to share with. Um, although sharing only takes you so far, right? You know, like I tell people, sharing is really, really important, but doesn't doesn't make your illness go away. Sometimes it can, you know, it can relieve a lot of, a lot of pressure that you put on yourself. And sometimes it can lead to getting better help. For me, it's just important for the people around me to know that, okay, I, I, I don't want to act. I don't want to pretend like I feel okay because I don't. So if I'm going to lie on the couch um, with my laptop on my lap uh, and not talk to anyone, um, you just need to accept that because I don't, I don't feel good, but I can talk. Right. But that would be an act. And that takes so much energy. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are all things that, you know, I'm, I've, I'm sure we're not the only ones, but I'm certainly, I, I'm, I'm hearing you on that and, and very similar. And I think it's very common. And uh, just to, I tell myself, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned kind of earlier, like this too shall pass, like just hold on a little bit longer. Um, and, I mean, just, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, okay. This too shall pass is uh, a saying that I remember my dad said it to me when, uh, when my daughter Casey was young, she was diagnosed with a severe eye condition. And I remember him saying to me, you know, um, this too shall pass. And I remember wanting to say to him, how the fuck do you know? Right. You know, who made you an ophthalmologist? But he just wanted me to feel better. Right. But the this too shall pass in the context of if I said it to you, like if you said, you know, I've had a really tough time and I said, well, this too shall pass, then maybe you're not going to go and get help. So maybe what you need to hear is, you know what, it's not going to pass unless you force it to pass, that if you're passive when it comes to this, it's you're going to wake up tomorrow, you're going to feel like shit and you're going to feel like shit in three weeks. So you got to do something to make it pass. I love it. I absolutely, I love, I, I, man, I love that. And that's, uh, I like that too. Actually, I was listening I, to myself talking. Like, wow. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah well, that was really good. That was, I'm not going to lie. That was, I like that a lot. Uh, so thank you for that. And, and you make a very, very, very good point. Um, and, and even if you sit there and you say this too shall pass, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's going to pass, but how long till it comes back again? Like, you know, so uh, man, I know, listen, I know what I need to do and what I'm going to do. Um, couple, two things before we go, my dad, uh, Brian says, thank you, Michael out there in BC. Hello, dad. Um, I know he's watching. He's, uh, I'm telling you, my dad, we, off the record was on all the time. I was out West. So it was, you know, a little bit early, like you guys were ahead three hours or whatever, but every day I came home from school, Michael, it was like on, it was like, I, I would literally eat if it was like 
Sunny, I would be watching you tying my rollerblades. Actually, I didn't even really tie my rollerblades. I'd sit there. If it was raining, I'm in there watching off the record all the time. No PBR back then, so I kind of probably missed a few episodes. But I'm not lying when I say this. I used to watch it religiously. I mean, TSM was always on. It was all yeah. it was on the TV all the time. It just seemed you were there every day, Monday to Friday. I get home from school, and there you are. And now here you are. So, you know, I'll echo what my dad says. Thank you, Michael. Like, honestly, it's it's mind-blowing to for me to sit here um, after watching. You for well, all you know what? Uh, I will, uh, come on anytime you ask me, but you need to stop complimenting me. Okay. That's the deal. I understand that you watched off the record and that's nice. Like, Hey, it's nice to hear, but on this show, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an even playing field because, you know, what have you, what are you doing on this show? Um, I mean, you're on this show, um, to benefit others and to help yourself, right? Like I never deny when when someone says, "Oh, you know, can, you know, like good for you for doing so much good for other people." I say, "Well, I'm doing good for myself too, right?" Yeah. You know, there's something liberating about talking about it, and there's something about using the worst thing in your life as one of the best things in your life. Like you're sitting there right now, hosting this show, talking about the thing that almost killed you, right? Uh, and you know, took a big chunk of your life away, uh, and yet now you're using it. Um, you know, for something really good. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, well, it is. And I always tell people, you know, be your own hero, but also I'm using my addiction almost as my superpower in a sense, right? Where it's where, you know, the fact that I've gotten through it and now I can maybe be a little bit of hope for people who are struggling. But at the same time, I was very reminded very quickly over this last couple of weeks uh, that you know you can't you really can't fix anybody else they have to fix themselves and so i'm just writing down i'm making a note tomorrow for the uh, lands blog this too shall pass <laughs> yeah you got it yeah i yeah. want to see it i want to i'll be well i'll be watching it regardless um yeah a lot of people just saying thank you uh, i hear you both from from dean smeal and Smealer. Uh, yeah what's his nickname what's his hockey nickname well his brother was the steamer he's like that's, that's it yeah. yeah the steamer his brother was a steamer right uh senior advisor for the canucks his brother is uh yes uh matthew says thank you brady thank you michael sean horsewell says thank you dean says thank you sandra says thank you everybody watching says thank you and uh i do too michael so um thanks man like let's talk again in a couple of weeks any hey you're you're a welcome guest anytime and uh I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to make that phone call tomorrow and, and give it a shot. Like you said, what do, what do I really have to lose? And so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the lands blog whenever, uh, every day, but the one, this too shall pass. I, I really like that one. That was a good one. Yeah, me too. It, uh, <laughs> just all came together, man. Just all came together. Uh, okay. Well, like I said, uh, thanks for having me. You don't say anything nice. Say, you know what, Michael? Okay. We get it. You're humble. Okay. Just get the fuck out of here. And um, I'll, I will do exactly that. Uh, and I'm going to, uh, I want you to text me when you have called your doctor. I will for sure. And please tell, uh, please tell your daughter, Casey, how grateful I am. Thank you, Casey, for putting this together. You're just uh, an app. She's awesome. She's like right on it. She's, she's great. So she's responsible for making this happen. Thank you, Casey. You're great. Okay. We'll talk soon, buddy. See you, dude. Bye. Awesome. That's what gets me jacked up. Thank you, Michael Landsberg. Thank you all for watching, listening, wherever you're taking it in. A lot to digest there. A lot to digest. And I know that the last time he was on, I mentioned that, you know what, I was going to 
I was going to step out of my comfort zone and, and, and reach out and, and get on those medications. But something in me was like, Brady, you're strong. You're a fighter. You got this. Don't worry. Maybe I don't got it on my own. But guess what? That's okay. That's okay. And if you don't have it on your own, if you're feeling down, it's okay to be not okay. You're damn right it is. Um, I think it's... Uh, what a great conversation, first off. Um, before I wrap up here, there's a couple things I want to get to. It would have been my grandma's 85th birthday today. My grandma Lorraine. Uh, I'll share a story quick. Um, this is a tough one for me. So when I uh, here's a story about making sure that when you love somebody, my grandma Lorraine was one of the sweetest ladies. Um, she was a school teacher and my biggest fan. She always believed in me. She always told me how kind I was, how good of a person I was. Even through my addiction, she suffered from a stroke at 63 years old. A couple years after she retired, she was in a wheelchair. She was in a home for the, the I mean, since I was 13 years old. Uh, she used to take us fishing, her and my grandpa all the time. But uh, I was released from jail. And I was, I wanted to go see her. I wanted to go see her, but my addiction called me. My addiction was calling me and I decided to go back to my addiction instead of going to see my grandma at the uh, senior home. And I got picked up by the cops again. A uh, couple days after I was in jail for a week I mean I was in jail for a lot longer than that but a week after I was picked up I got the phone call that my grandma had passed away that I did not make it to see her that one final time and uh, weighs heavy on my heart I'm not gonna lie I think about her all the time I know that she's looking down on me. All my grandparents are looking down on me. My grandma Lever, Grandpa Ron, Grandpa Grease, Barry. They're all looking down on me. I know they're proud of me. I know that my grandma Lorraine for sure saw something in me that I took a long time for me to realize I even had inside of me. She always told me to be a school teacher, be a PE teacher. You're... Today would have been her 85th birthday, April 11th. Happy birthday, Grandma. I love you. I think about you all the time. And I want to just go on the record here and say thank you to my cousin, Spencer Chrischuk, who stood up at her funeral and read the letter that I wrote from jail to read at her funeral. And my Spencer, or my cousin Spencer, sorry, stood up in front of everybody on my behalf and read that letter. I've never really formally said thank you to Spencer and uh, just something that kind of slipped my mind. I'm going to pick up the phone call or I'm going to pick up the phone, make a call tonight and say thank you to Spencer. So thank you, Spencer. Kills me that I wasn't there. But if you love somebody, if you have family members, don't hold back. Go see them. Tell them you love them. Because I miss her every single day. Happy birthday, Grandma. Would have been 85 today. 
Um, I'm going to bring on, uh, I haven't told her yet, but I'm going to bring on Chloe Lewis onto the podcast. Maybe the next episode or next Sunday, she's going to tell us all about, yes, Chloe, you're going to tell us all about how you raised over $800 for puck support um, through collecting bottles up there in South Dundas, more particularly Williamsburg. Chloe is uh, just a, a beautiful young soul and a great little hockey player um, and one of our puck support warriors. And uh, maybe I'll share the story of how I met Chloe uh, and her, her mom uh, for when I bring her on. But Chloe, just know that we're so proud of you. Um, amazing. The pictures and Morrisburg, Le- Morrisburg Leader picked up the story and did an article. Thank you to them. Uh, but Chloe, great work. Big things for you in your hockey future and beyond. Great work. You got to come on the show and tell us. Just a quick segment, five minutes, ten minutes. Come on, introduce yourself. Tell us why you did it, how you did it, what it meant to you. Maybe what your goals are as a hockey player. Team Canada, you could do it, Chloe. I believe in you. I know a lot of people do. Anyways, guys, that's it. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Daniel Miner here at Puck Support. We're going to do everything to make sure that he is never forgotten. He's in the picture. He's in the database. And I'm thinking about the family a lot. Thanks again to Haley Miner for the conversation earlier. I know it wasn't easy. I wish I I said it earlier. I wish I would have had more to say to you. Um, But I hope that I could have could be a little bit of of help and just know that any of the minor family if you ever need to talk or want to talk please reach out to me i might not always have the right thing to say but i'll listen and i'll share my my story or or my thoughts very openly and candidly and uh yeah we're gonna make sure that he's never forgotten rest in peace man that's it guys Episode 38, Hockey to Helen back. Upcoming guests, who do we got? Tara Sloan from Hockey Night in Canada, or top, top of her game, I guess, now. Um, Tara Sloan, former musician, now sports broadcaster, great sports personality, and a great lady here in Canada. Can't wait to connect with her. Uh, Kelly Rudy still on the docket. Jordy Ben still on the docket. Not the court docket. Not the court docket. Um, also, Willow Corson, Shane Corson's daughter, plays at Boston College. Uh, she's going to join the show as well. We're going to include a lot more women in the show. We're going to feature women's hockey, current hockey players, past hockey players, uh, because they deserve it. They deserved it forever. And I feel like Hockey to Hell and Back is lacking in the female department. And uh, I can't wait to share Tara Sloan's story. Willow Corson, and uh, I'm forgetting a few others. Um, Doug and Dana Donaldson, uh, Ryan Donaldson's mom and dad, rest in peace, Ryan. They're going to join me on a show as well and, and talk about Ryan and mental illness and and the tragedy uh, that their family suffered and, and how they're uh, now using his story to help others. And uh, you know, just know the Donaldsons, I'm here for you guys, know that. 
Um, just appreciate your support and all that you do and have done. That's it. You guys know me. I'm going to keep blabbing if I don't stop talking. Thank you so much to everybody uh, just for everything, for sticking with me, for not giving up on me or for when I say something wrong, not delete me off Facebook or shunning me when I make a mistake. Thank you for not turning your back on me. Just know that when I do make mistakes these days, I'm certainly going to own them. And that feels really good not to make mistakes, but to know that you can own them. Be honest. And just to never look back. I mean, that life of addiction is uh, it's gone and, uh, and I believe it's gone for good. And I can sit here and say that eh, with with great confidence. But I also know that that little devil sitting on my left shoulder at any given moment, the second that I even give him a little bit, just a little bit of wiggle room there, he's right there waiting, pushing me in that downhill direction. And if it wasn't for all you guys and my family, the kids, I would not be sitting here today. So seriously, thank you so much. I very, 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 very grateful. I say it all the time. I'm a broken record, but thank you so much. I, uh, I really appreciate it. I'm going to leave you guys with First Star Therapy, James Gardner, Matthew Arnani. Make sure you check them out. If you or someone you know is not only training for hockey, but any sport look into first star therapy i'm gonna leave you with uh the short little video voiceover by my good friend down in beaverton oregon steve buckley make sure you check out first star therapy be kind be grateful and remember have a great day if you so choose to hell and back is brought to you by performance wellness the collaboration between first star therapy and mindframe brings a flexible holistic program to athletes the goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices you can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at MindFrame on Twitter plus MindFrame Fit on Instagram.